Remember, freedom is a gift from God. Choose to accept it, guard it, nourish it, share it with your loved ones. Don't let anyone take it from you. Choose to be free. Learn how to choose freedom with your host, Dr. Baruch Platner. Welcome to the show, my friends. Um, the election did not turn out as uh, we hoped. Uh, but at the same time, I cannot say that I was really surprised because uh, while, uh, while I felt that a lot of the uh, crazy predictions from the left about you know, double-digit uh, advantages towards uh, the Democrats were unwarranted. I also felt that some of the landslide, if not all of the landslide predictions on our side were equally un unwarranted. So uh, at the time of the recording of the show, uh, we don't know yet, I don't know yet how things are going to turn out exactly and whether... Uh, Trump will, uh, President Trump will yet be president um, on January 21st. And I fervently hope that he is because who wants to live through a Biden-Harris uh, inauguration and uh, all of the gloating and glee and all of that from the other side, as well as the policies that will uh, uh, immediately follow suit will be horrendous the uh, terrorist organization known as the PLO, the Palestine Lib uh, Liberation Organization, is going to open, reopen its offices in Washington, D.C. The uh, horrible agreement with Iran will be re-signed or re-entered into. Uh, the United States will rejoin the horrible Paris uh, climate change accords, so-called, uh, and uh, so on and so on, you name it. It will be uh, a total uh, bloodbath, folks. I mean, it really will be. Uh, the, and there will be uh, a tremendous amount of vendetta waged by the Democrats to uh, punish, literally punish, those uh, people who supported Trump in, uh, in any and all capacity. From people on Twitter, to people in the administration, uh, and anything in between. They will not stop, they will not relent, unlike Trump, whose biggest mistake was trying to make a deal when he was first elected, they will attempt no such thing. There will be no deals, I've written in a previous column that there will be no quarter given to the vanquished, in other words, to us and they will wage a war of total annihilation against our side. So I'm telling you now, be prepared. But since we don't yet know the exact results, and I don't uh, wish to speculate, uh, primarily because I don't, <laughs> I don't wish to get everybody uh, in, in, a, uh, in a bad mood, and, and, on, and when this show airs, who knows, you know, on Saturday and Sunday, who knows where we may be. But, um, so, you know, I want to talk about uh, something that's related, but it does not necessarily depend on who, on whether President Trump has or has not been re-elected, whatever that means. Well, I guess what it really means is 
has the democratic uh, fraud machine, uh, will it be proven successful or will it somehow uh, be defeated? Uh, but to me, all of these things are, in the short term, are exceedingly important, but in the long term, perhaps less so. You know, um, the uh, Fox News Channel pundit uh, Tucker Carlson, he um, just uh, said something on his show that I found uh, kind of interesting. He said, well, and here he, he is presuming that Trump will, Trump was not re-elected. He said, well, if the Senate falls, in other words, if the, if, if the Republicans cannot hold their majority in the Senate, then America is finished. But, you know, if you think about this statement for a second, it's kind of weird, isn't it? I mean, what he's basically saying is that the fate of America, currently the, the, the largest economically uh, and most powerful militarily country in the world, uh, hinges on whether some, uh, some small woman uh, from uh, Maine, let's say Susan Collins, or some uh, mediocre guy from Nebraska, Ben Sass, uh, managed to hang on to their, um, uh, you know, uh, Senate seats or not. Uh, that is a nonsensical statement in, in, in historical kind of terms. And uh, the reason I, I myself don't like Tucker is, uh, well, first of all, he's a paid actor, just like, you know, the rest of them. Uh, he's just delivering a spiel. Uh, he has a stick, you know, laps. I mean, it's kind of like slapstick comedy in a sense, but it uh, plucks at our heartstrings. I don't believe for a second that he has actual convictions. And the kind of statement that he just made about the Senate reinforces in me that feeling because it's exceedingly shallow. The fate of an empire such as the United States of America cannot depend on, uh, you know, one or two uh, nobodies substantially uh, being elected to the Senate or not elected to the Senate. That is just nonsense. And I fully know what he means. He means that if uh, you know, Kamala or Biden or whoever is going to be president. And if the Democrats have a majority in the House of Representatives, which they will have, and a majority in the Senate, then they will uh, get rid of the filibu filibuster for everything. They will change stuff with a 51 majority. They will pack the Supreme Court. And I, I know, I know all these arguments, but. My point is that it doesn't really matter because they have already won. They have already won. And this uh, kind of realignment with the majority in the Senate will just be a, um, a confirmation of their win. And, and by the way, folks, it will happen no matter what. It will happen. And the reason I'm saying that is because when you look at um, uh, the elections in America, right? You look at these, um, you know, nail-biting moments when we are glued to the TV screens and, you know, we alternate between the big 
liquid crystal display of our 60 inch TVs and to the little liquid crystal displays on our smartphones so we can all hold each other's hands and, 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 and participate in this um, bonfire, you know, a town hall meeting that we arrange for ourselves around Twitter or Facebook or whatever. Uh, what we're seeing in those events is always the same in recent kind of, uh, certainly in this election, the previous one and so on. What we see is uh, an explosion of blue, in other words, an explosion of socialism, globalism, communism even in the cities. And then we pray to God that, literally, literally, that the countryside, you know, the provinces, the, the, the small towns, the provincial towns, the, the farms, uh, will somehow, in some cases, maybe, maybe overcome the prevailing culture of the cities. And that's what we do from Florida to Wisconsin to Michigan to New Hampshire, um, everywhere. That's what that's what we do. Even in Texas, right? Even in Texas, uh, it's just that Texas has, uh, as of yet, a little bit. Uh, it's a little bit more balanced or better balanced between its big cities, Dallas, Austin, Houston, and you know, it's smaller cities of which, and, and, and countryside of which there are many. In places like New York, uh, Illinois is a good example. Um, you know, they're totally dominated, dominated by their big cities, Boston, Chicago, uh, in the case of New Hampshire, Manchester, Nashua, and the countryside just cannot overcome those big cities, not even close. And that's all this sea of red that we see when we do the county by county map with you know just an archipelago you could say of blue denoting the bigger cities but that picture is basically a picture that spells the fact that america has already lost uh, it's standing as a constitutional republic, as a, as a polity in which limited government uh, is the law of the land and individual freedom, individual liberty, and therefore the constitution. And the reason I'm saying that is because civilization rests and have always rested and will always rest on the axis between large cities and the elites. The elites and large cities is what makes civilization. And I'm not uh, denigrating by any stretch of the imagination people who live in the countryside and in smaller towns. And I think it's a wonderful way to live. It's a way I'm living now myself. So, and I have nothing but uh, deep respect for people who live outside of cities and, uh, and, and even far away from cities and so on. But that doesn't change the fact that civilizations and cultures are not made bottom-up from the countryside. Civilizations and cultures happen in cities and by the elites. And this is true from every civilization, 
from the very first one in uh, Sumer Sumeria and in Egypt and to the current one. And it's something that's very easily proven uh, historically. Uh, for example, when you think of the Babylonian Empire, you think of Babylon the city. You know, when you think of, when you think of uh, the Judean part of the Judea Christian culture, it's all about Jerusalem. It's not about people who lived in smaller towns or on farms in the foothills of the Judean mountains. It's all about Jerusalem. The Roman Empire is Rome, the city. The Greek culture is on the axis between two, the, the two cities of Athens and Sparta. All right. Um, and cultures are made by elites, by people who are educated and are able to express themselves exceedingly well in writing. That's what makes civilizations. And I, I kind of purposefully in my example haven't mentioned the American civilization yet because it actually proves the point, my point, the best. The people that made America were American elites. In other words, the Alexander Hamiltons and the Thomas Jeffersons and the George Washingtons and the John Adamses of 1770s, they were among the most educated and the most elite people in the world at that, at, of their time, in the world at that time, and certainly in America. The American Revolution was not a bottom-up phenomenon, it was a top-down phenomenon. It was these deep thinkers, people who could write very well and think very well, that have created out of, I was going to say out of nothing. No, not out of nothing. Out of the Judean Christian tradition, out of the tradition of the Enlightenment, they have created this totally new culture called the American culture. This culture was not created in, farm, in the farmland of Western Massachusetts or on the plantations of South Carolina and Georgia. It was created in places like Boston and New York and Philadelphia and Alexandria, Virginia and in Atlanta and in Charleston. And it was not created by farmers, even though we know that many of the founding fathers owned farms and thought of themselves as kind of gentlemen farmers, and, and certainly farms were a big source of income for them. But that's not what I'm talking about here, right? I'm not talking about, in that way, they actually were very similar to uh, European gentry, which mostly, if not completely derived its income from its uh, estates, from its farmland, right? So when you have a situation like we have right now in America, in which neither the elites nor the cities have any faith left, have any support left for the American constitution, and for its the founding principles of America, then, my friends, you have to face reality that America, as a constitutional republic that relies on the twin pillars of individual liberties, individual rights, 
as given by the creator and a limited government which is prohibited and joined from infringing on those rights, well, my friends, that country is gone. It's no more. And it doesn't matter if President Trump manages to defeat uh, the fraud that was perpetrated against him in this election or, or does not manage to defeat it. The fact that America uh, uh, is gone is, is a fait accompli, as the French would say. It's an accomplished fact. And if you don't believe me, then we'll go next segment deeper into that and, and look at why it is that America is no more, no more what it used to be. It hasn't been for a while. And why it's important that we recognize that fact and deal with it because the alternative is far, far worse and more dangerous. Stay tuned for the next segment. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. Award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Welcome back to the show, folks. Um, I ended the previous segment with, um, you know, a kind of um, uh, assertion that is, it's difficult. It's difficult uh, for me to say, and I think it may be difficult for many people to hear. And that assertion is that the American Constitutional Republic has already passed from the world. It does not exist other than as a kind of a latent image, uh, a piece of inertia, uh, and especially in the minds of its older people. You know what I mean? And I know it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to hear. It's hard to say. Um, but it's important to say the truth and it's important to know and understand the truth. And that is why I am to be you know, honest with you. Um, kind of angry with many of the pundits on what we would call our side, on the right, if you want to call it that. Um, I'm angry with the likes of um, Tucker Carlson, even Mark Levine, because they use their, and certainly Sean Hannity, because they, uh, Laura Ingram, because they, they use their considerable intellect and charisma substantially to bamboozle their audiences, their adoring audiences. And I notably exclude from that 
Rush Limbaugh, and, and, and actually Bill O'Reilly as well. Because the, these two, they kind of tell it like it is. They may not maybe use exactly my language because they have to maintain their very large audiences and, and so on. But nevertheless, they, they are truthful. And they don't engage in gimmicks. But people like Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram and so on certainly do. And, you know, one of the things that uh, I know many noticed uh, about Fox News this election cycle is that Fox was the leader, the absolute leader in the campaign to defraud Trump out of his re-election as far as the media outlets go. I mean, they called Arizona, they were the only mainstream media outlet that called Arizona a ridiculous call <laughs> that, <laughs> that really demoralized the Trump campaign, uh, demoralized Trump supporters, was out of the blue unexpected and wrong. And we will see what actually happens uh, if, if, if Trump uh, wins or loses Arizona. But... Uh, doesn't matter. Even if he loses it, their their call of that loss so early on was, uh, you know, it's a, it was weaponized propaganda. It was a git prop, as the Russians used to call it. And uh, it firmly placed the Fox News channel in, um, you know, among, among the, 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 the enemies of America as a constitutional republic. Now, don't forget, though, that the same Fox News channel signs the checks that go to Tucker Carlson, to Laura Ingram, and to Sean Hannity, right? So, how can these people who ostensibly support American values work for a company that uh, does everything it possibly can to destroy those values, right? I mean, all of these people that I just now mentioned have more money than they would ever need to, to live, to not only survive, but to live very well. Okay? So why are they doing it? They're doing it because they, Tucker, Laura, Hannity, belong to the same exact elites that among whom you can count Rachel Meadow and Jake Tapper and... <clears throat> All of these, uh, you know, Wolf Blitzers and all of these other people. Tucker Carlson has a lot more in common with Rachel Meadow than he has with the people that listen to his show or, to, or that watch his show. That is guaranteed. Tucker Carlson does not care for you, my friends, okay? Uh, Rachel Meadow and Jake Tapper are his friends, not you. And the same goes for Hannity and for Laura and for Mark Levine and for most of these people. Very few exceptions, Rush Limbaugh is one. And the reason that Rush Limbaugh is an exception is because he's just a far more upstanding guy and because he built his own platform, a very large one. All these other people, the only way for them uh, to make the kind of money that they're making is to work on this uh, platform, progressive uh, globalist platform called Fox News. And that's what they do. Now, normally, I wouldn't get that worked up about it. You know, all these people are paid actors. They're just delivering scripts. You know, Fox News is 
uh, basically scripted uh, wrestling like, uh, you know, WWC or WWF or whatever it's called, uh, you know, this, this wrestling, which is scripted. Now, that's not to say that the wrestlers are not great athletes. In other words, the wrestlers, the, those wrestlers are, you know, I certainly couldn't do all these things that they're doing, you know, picking people up in the air, helicoptering them and then dropping them on their on you know and, and all of that kind of stuff they're skilled right but it's still a show well the same thing you know the tuckers of this world are skilled but they're using their skills basically as a form of theater there's there's no they don't they don't believe in what they're saying they're simply acting okay and and that's really what's happening now no like i said normally i wouldn't be all up in arms about it, but I think that in, in in this particular case, in how things are right now in America, these people play a very, very detrimental role. Uh, and they are bad for us. They are bad for the people who love America. And the reason that they're bad for the people who love America is because they're not telling us the truth. They are presenting us with all kinds of vignettes that are designed to make us angry, to des- are, de- are designed to elicit an emotional response. And because they, they elicit this remo- emotional response, they, get, they keep us glued to the screen and they keep us basically watching the commercials that they're peddling to us on their show. And the more eyes on the screen, the higher the commercial price per, per second, and the higher their compensation, which is directly tied to it. So in other words, in a very, very direct and true sense of the word, the, the Tuckers, the Laura Ingram, the Sean Hannity's of this world, they are emotionally manipulating you for their own personal uh, money, uh, financial gain. That's all. But they are not telling the truth because, and I can demonstrate it very, very easily, right? So, you know, if you use uh, Tucker's example or all these people's example. So they, uh, they talk about, for example, election fraud. They talk about how, e- how, how very, very easily uh, mailing, I mean, voting by mail can be manipulated. And they talked about it before the election, they're talking about it after the election, and they are all up in arms because uh, Trump was cheated out of his victory, let's say. But they work for a channel that did that, that, he- that helped Trump to be cheated out of his victory, right? I mean, they work for a channel that was uh in that, that that took the lead in in uh cheating trump out of his victory their employers are the ones who cheated trump out of his v- victory right so i mean i'm laughing because it's so kind of pathetic right so here we are you know and and, and you know you know what who who is, who is the most pathetic the most pathetic to me are are the people who on twitter are like I don't watch Fox, but Tucker's coming on, so I'm going to turn it on, I'm going to watch Tucker, and I'm going to turn it off again. And I don't like Martha because she's 
gone to the dark side and she's a globalist, you know, Martha McCollum. But Tucker is still with us. He's still with us. And I'm going to tune in. I mean, give me a break, folks. There's zero difference between Tucker Carlson and Martha McCallum and Brad Bear and all of that. They all get paid from... by the, the, Their checks are signed by the same person, by the same people. Their checks are signed by Paul Ryan, you know, who is substantially the manager of Fox News and who is uh, a, a dedicated globalist, a George Soros puppet. Okay, so the Tuckers of this world, the Laura Ingrams of this world, the Mark Levines of this world, they all work for George Soros, no less, no less in any way, shape or form than Rachel Meadow or, or Wolf Blitzer or Jake Tapper or any one of those other guys. Okay, so you are not doing yourself a service when you try to split hairs and say, well... You know, on Fox, there's only one or two people that are still, quote-unquote, watchable. No, no. They are all paid by Soros. Okay? And that's just how it is. Now, you can say, well, what should we do then? What should we do? I mean, if... if, if... So, you know, I'll offer you my humble opinion about what we should do, can do, and I think the only thing that we can do is understand... Where the, where the world is right now. Understand the realities in which we are living. Okay? And the realities in which we are living is that the tenets of the American Republic. American Republic is like a bar stool that has three legs. Okay? One leg was God-given rights and individual liberties. The other leg was limited government, the government that does the absolute minimum in order to provide uh, security and safety both from crime and from foreign invaders uh, and some sort of a level playing field in business. Okay, that's the only thing that the government should be doing according to the American Constitution. And the third uh, pillar, if you like, or the third uh, foot of that stool, of that three-legged stool, is morality. It's more. It's it's the uh, Judeo-Christian, if you like, moral and ethical foundations of the American Republic. Now, as you can kind of imagine in this analogy, taking away even one of these uh, legs would cause the whole thing to collapse. And that is exactly what has happened in America. What happened in America is that in the kind of um, cultural, sexual revolution uh, of the 1960s and 70s, the leg, that third leg upon which the American uh, Constitutional Republic was resting, together with the two other legs, was destroyed. Completely destroyed. Okay, so America from being a moral, ethical, God-fearing country became substantially the exact opposite of that. 
And I know that pockets of it persisted in many places, rural places, places in the south and all of that, uh, places that people like to uh, laugh, uh, laugh about or make fun of. But as I mentioned in the previous segment, that's not what makes a civilization. That's not what makes culture. What makes culture are the big cities and the elites. And the big cities and the elites in America in the 1960s and 70s permanently divorced their Judeo-Christian moral ethical foundations. They repudiated them. Okay? And that, by the way, goes for both Democrats and Republicans. The biggest mistake, the mistake that destroyed the rest of America, inevitably so, that the the Republicans, not only the politicians, but also the Republican voters, have ever made was to say things like, we don't care what happens between consenting adults behind closed doors. Because America is founded upon caring what happens between consenting adults between closed doors. America is founded upon declaring openly that nothing should be happening behind the closed doors between consenting adults unless, for example, they're married. Okay? And also in only if they're of the opposite sex. You know? So in other words, up until the 60s, Americans cared deeply, all of them, about what happened between consenting adults behind closed doors. They cared that those consenting adults are of the opposite sex and hopefully, ideally, are also married. right? And I know that that wasn't always the case, but that was the ideal. And people who did not live up to that ideal were ostracized, um, sanctioned, unless they did it somehow in extreme privacy. Okay? But when uh, Republicans, more so, of course, the Democrats, I'm not even talking about, but the Republicans, by the way, the Democrats in the 1960s were more socially conservative than Republicans. But when both the Democrats and the Republicans kind of said, you know what? Don't worry about that anymore. Do whatever the heck you want, right? Well, they took that three-legged stool and got rid of one leg. And since then, that stool has been steadily falling. But because this is an enormous stool and has a huge inertia, it's been falling kind of slowly compared to our human, you know, lifetime. Uh, lifespan, you know, so if you look, you know, when historians look at uh, the collapse of the American uh, uh, Republic, the collapse of the American grand experiment, they will undoubtedly see the cultural revolution, the sexual revolution of the 1960s, 1970s as the seminal event that started this collapse and right about where we are right now, 2020, 2025, maybe in that time frame, they will see as the end of this collapse, the other bracket of it. And, you know, for, for historians, the, these uh, intervening 60 
70, even 80 years, will look, uh, you know, as a mere eye blink, right? From historical perspective, that's a short time. So we'll discuss more of that in the next segment. Stay tuned. you've watched for decades as radical Marxists have systematically taken over some of our nation's most cherished institutions. Well, AmericaOutloud.com is fighting back with one of the fastest growing conservative media networks in the world, featuring some of the nation's most influential experts and commentators. Join us. We're in this together. And we consider you part of our family in our crusade to share the news commentary, and agenda that can lead America back again. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. Welcome back to the show, folks. So in the previous segment, I kind of used this analogy of the American Republic is a three-legged stool that rests upon uh, Judeo-Christian morality and ethics, and that's gone. And uh, the next two legs are individual liberty slash God-given rights and limited government. Well, you know, needless to say, you need all three. So when both Republicans and Democrats uh, kind of agreed that what goes on between consenting adults behind the closed doors is just okay, and no matter what it is, and no, no matter who these adults are, uh, that destroyed the first leg, and ever since, America has been in free fall. But, uh, not like letting anything uh, kind of uh, fall to chance, uh, the American elites then proceeded to destroy the other two legs as well. And the first one that they destroyed, and actually the destruction of that leg has started long before, uh, is, the, is the limited government part. Uh, America came to a point, I would say around... Um, just around uh, before the First World War and in, uh, in the 19-teens, when the idea of limited government clashed with the financial interests of the American elites. And this uh, statement bears 
uh, further scrutiny. Because uh, when America was uh, constituted and declared independence in late uh, 18th century, the American elites, as compared to the Euro like let's say uh, European elites, were quite poor. Uh, if you visit, uh, you know, Mount Vernon, let's say uh, George Washington's place, uh, it is not even uh, on the on the level of the the house or the property that a, a medium level, you know, Russian. Uh, trader merchant would live in or the same for English or French or, or you know so or, or, or Spanish or whatever it, 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 it had nothing in common with the residences of the European elite whatsoever and the same goes for Monticello and <clears throat> other estates that were owned by the American elites of the late 18th century they were poor by compare they were rich or, or, or did well compared to other Americans, but they were quite poor compared to, uh, in comparison to their counterparts across the Atlantic. And by the way, also across the Pacific, because for example, Japanese and Chinese elites at that time also lived in much more luxurious uh, circumstances. But as America began its march across the American continent westward. More and more natural resources were discovered, more and more agricultural land was developed, and there was this um, a creation of um, enormous wealth. And, uh, and uh, the America became a, a producer of unheard of proportions of everything from literally from nuts to bolts, through corn, through every kind of manufactured product or agricultural product. Cotton, sheep, wool, uh, tobacco, uh, machinery, ships, trains, I mean, you name it. And the, the amount of the stuff produced in America was orders of magnitude more than Americans needed uh, to consume at home. So America became an export powerhouse. America became, in a sense, England, uh, but even more so because England is much smaller than America. And can, just by how many people and how much land it has, it could never really compete with America as it was expanding westward. But America substantially became a huge exporting nation and what and what exporting nations need in order to continue exporting is to maintain trade routes across the globe via the ocean and uh, maintain uh, trade policies with its trading partners that favor trading with America. In other words, what America needed was that nobody assaults its ships when they deliver their, their, their its goods uh, to uh, various points around the globe, and that those ships have welcoming ports in which they can stop to refuel with coal and um, water and supplies and so on, 
And equally importantly, what America needed was that was trade agreements with uh, foreign nations that would be favorable to American trade. In other words, that these foreign nations would not institute uh, tariff and tariffs and duties on American products, which would make them uh, much less affordable and therefore less competitive in their own countries. And the only way, the only way that those goals could be could be achieved, in other words, the goals of uh, free shipping and low uh, tariffs and duties on the receiving end, the only way that this could be achieved was via the projection of military force abroad. The projection of military force abroad, in other words, across oceans in Europe and in the Pacific. And in order to project such a force, America needed uh, an enormous navy. And an enormous navy costs a lot of money. And so America needed to start collecting a lot more taxes. And uh, what happened was that the American elites now became rich. If we fast forward to uh, from the end of the uh, 18th century, when American elites were poor compared to their European uh, counterparts, if we, if we go forward a hundred years and we go to the end of the 19th century, in other words, the late 1800s after the Civil War, what we see then is that the American elites became much richer than their counterparts in Europe. There is a museum that I like to go to in Boston called the Isabella Gardner Museum. And if you're, if you're ever in Boston and you're interested in art um, and architecture, I highly recommend it. Well, it's a good example of how rich the American elites of the 1880s and 1890s were because uh, Isabella's husband, uh, Mr. Gardner, was uh, a rich American trader and he became so rich that he uh, was able to build this enormous townhouse which now <coughs> houses um, that museum and fill it with every bit of art that he could buy in Europe. And I'm talking about not just paintings and furniture, I'm talking about whole pieces of European villas. I'm talking about in, in, entire uh, enormous fireplaces, the kind of fireplace that you can stand inside of that was dismantled somewhere in Italy and piece by piece and put on a steamship and brought into Boston Harbor and reassembled in his home, right? So Americans, American elites became so rich uh, that they could buy anything in, you know, the world over. And these riches became quite important to the American elites in a way that they were not to the American elites at the time of the founding of the Republic. And the American elites thus became very, very interested in protecting those riches and increasing those riches even further. And the only way that that could be done was by building and maintaining American primacy in trade. And that required a large Navy and later a large Air Force 
and a large army and all of that costs a lot of money and that means you need uh, you need the population in other words the non elites to pay more taxes and uh, in, and you do that by um, the only way that people would agree to pay more taxes which in America uh, is necessary because it is still a kind of a representational system of government the only way you get people to agree more taxes is you if you de- if you cut them a deal and this is what you know FDR's new deal is all about it's literally a deal and the deal is you pay more taxes for example social security and income tax uh, more income tax and a new tax called social security and so on medicare and in exchange for which the government will take care of you when you're old, if you're sick, uh, and even uh, when you're healthy, the government will provide things like free education and improve your roads and you'll have a 911 number to call in case of an emergency and so on. So the government in America at all levels, local, state, but mostly federal, burst its boundaries of being limited and became the complete and utter opposite of limited. The, the, federal, the federal government in America now is utterly unlimited. It's the biggest employer by far in the country. It's um, a behemoth of unheard of proportions and it's absolutely Chinese in its kind of Mandarin complexity. And, bureaucrat- and bureaucratic uh, kind of uh, nonsense that, that, that is happening there, right? And one of the reasons that Trump, President Trump could not really consolidate his reign in America, his rule, and one of the reasons that he is not likely to, have a, to be a two-term president at this point is because these bureaucrats in the enormous uh, behemoth that is the American federal government simply refused to carry out his directives. That's all. They, they just, Trump would say, do this and that, and they would just say, guess what? We ain't doing it. Simple as that. And that happened across the board. It happened with immigration. It happened with education. It happened with everything. To a level which is, far, far from being understood in America today. There's a lot of Americans on our side that say, well, how come Trump didn't, you know, fire this guy and fire that guy? There's, he, can, he couldn't have. All right? The, the, he, he, he simply could not have. Um, this guy, uh, this uh, Miles uh, Taylor, the guy who was this anonymous, whatever, he boasted on Twitter, and I kind of take him at his word that these mid-level apparatchiks in the, in, in the Department of Homeland Security where he worked were competing among themselves who would defy openly more of President Trump's directives. They had no uh, notion or concept of, of, of following the orders of the political, uh, of the elected office as they should, but they just didn't want to do it. And they did so that leg of uh, limited government is gone. And with it, and, and the, the third leg of uh, uh, personal liberties and the God-given rights is the last to go, and it's going now. 
it kind of lingered on until just about now and now it's being destroyed and the destruction of that third leg will accelerate and finalize the fall of the Republic and that's happening as we speak and you know just like the agents of this each leg has its agent of destruction the morality Christian ethics uh, leg was destroyed by the sexual feminist revolution of the 1960s 70s uh, the the limited government leg was destroyed by the avarice and greed, the unlimited greed of the American elites of the late 19th century. And the leg of uh, the God-given rights is being destroyed right now by uh, the weapon of mass destruction known as social media. Because when it comes to your right to the freedom of speech, which is the First Amendment, as we all know, the first line in the Bill of Rights. Well, speech today substantially implies speech over social media. This is where we talk to each other. And by further extension from that, it implies speech over the Internet, right? Over this uh, kind of software hardware framework that we call the internet well as it happens uh, both social media which are applications and the infrastructure kind of the operating system upon which these applications are running are completely controlled by these uh, laughingly called private companies uh, which uh, whose entire mission is to destroy the freedom of speech. Okay? And that's what they're doing very, very effectively. And there's absolutely nothing that's going to stay in their way, stand in their way, especially not with the result of this election right now. And we could see that when uh, these uh, kind of half aliens, half robots, Dorsey and uh, Zuckerberg were. Uh, you know, dragged out from their uh, from the the weird layers in which they must live somewhere on the west coast and put under the spotlight in Washington D.C. and grilled by these pathetic creatures known as uh, American senators, you could see that this was uh, a kind of a show that was, uh, you know, it wasn't really funny. It wasn't also pathetic. It was bizarre. And it was bizarre. It wasn't really good entertainment. But it was bizarre in that sense that you could tell that the people that were asking the questions, i.e. the senators, belong to a world that is completely foreign and different to the world in which Dorsey and Zuckerberg live. And that the world in which Dorsey and Zuckerberg live is the real world today, whereas the world in which, you know, somebody like Ted Cruz is living is uh, a simulacrum. It's an image. It's, it's like a fading imprint of something that is long gone. And that's what made it kind of 
Ted Cruz in his questioning of Zuckerberg and Dorsey looked like a time traveler from a hundred years ago, from a distant past. Anyway, we're coming to the end of the show here, folks. I know it hasn't been a very uplifting one, but keep your powder dry, choose to be free, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>